You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. Good morning. Uh, it's good to be with you as we continue our series uh, on Hollywood Jesus. Last week we talked about when scripture meets script, decisions have to be made. What does Jesus look like? Right? Which actor should portray Jesus? Um, uh, which Jesus do we present? Uh, do we present Jesus as priest, prophet, king, or servant? So there's only so much time in order to tell that story. Which Jesus are we presenting? Much like the Gospels make decisions on what to include and what not to include. Uh, when we're doing a film, when we're looking at a Jesus movie, how do we present Jesus on film? And maybe the, the, the most important takeaway is when you're watching a movie about Jesus... Uh, not only is the dialogue important and the actors portraying the different characters, but the way the camera tells the story as well. Because sometimes the camera tells a separate story than what you're seeing and hearing with the actors in the dialogue. And of course, the point therein is we are like the cameras. We are called to share our faith. So we must be cognizant. We must be aware of which Jesus we are portraying, how we are portraying Jesus. In the gospel story. What do we lift up? What do we let go? So we continue the, the series and we dive just a little bit deeper into this whole Jesus movie thing. Our scripture lesson today comes from the letter to the Ephesians, the fifth chapter, the first two verses. It will be on the screen and it's also in your Bible. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and live in love as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, it's already been a crazy summer uh, at the Rawl household. Uh, We've been to Arizona, an annual conference and vacation Bible school, and drama camp in Pachatula, and two days at the beach, and we survived a mystery trip. Uh, last week, which, which was a whole, uh, whole lot of fun until like 1.30 on the, in the morning on the last day uh, when the air horns came out and the train whistles came out and all the things that we let them buy in the random stores during the day in Branson, Missouri. Uh, but it was great fun uh, uh, to go uh, to Branson last week. But it's been a crazy summer and today, this morning, it was, was a crazy morning uh, in the Rawl household. Robert uh, decided to wake up at 3.30 in the morning, ready to party came in the bedroom, hey dad, uh, and then woke up the dog, we have a new dog, uh, a puppy, so the puppy was awake, so it took the puppy out, and then came inside, and put everybody back in bed, and that wasn't happening, because the dog kept, you know, scratching around, so we all went into the living room, and the dog went potty in the kitchen, I'm like, I just brought you out 15 minutes ago, and so I decided, well, okay, now it's 3.45, I might as well just start the day, so I pour some coffee, you know, go in the fridge, take the thing, and I start drinking it, and say, hmm, Something's not right. Uh, until I realized several sips in that I had put the lemonade where the milk usually is. So it was a, it was a lemonade coffee kind of morning. You know what I'm saying? Uh, so I'll try to stick with the script like on a normal Sunday. Uh, so we're a little, little foggy this morning. And normally this wouldn't be as big a deal because uh, Christy normally runs, runs triage uh, Saturday night and Sunday morning. If something were to happen, Christy's out of town. Uh, Christy's grandfather passed away about two months ago, uh, and her grandmother found out that Christy's sister Allison was going to be in Orlando, shocker, the Rawl family's in Orlando, 
Uh, so Allison, Christy's sister, was in Orlando. So Christy's grandmother said, YOLO, I'm just going to go to Orlando and, and have a little Disney vacation. So Christy made the supreme sacrifice. Said, Gran, you shouldn't travel alone. So Christy accompanied her grandmother in Disney. And they, they started planning this trip like two weeks ago, which gave me a mild panic attack because I planned like 14 months out you know, with very meticulous, detailed spreadsheet. And I know I am capable of actually doing a very detailed, meticulous plan. It's just rare. Uh, it happens once every 14 months. So Christy is in Disney World. So this morning, uh, the, the family was awake uh, very early. So I'll try to stick with the plan. Uh, Christy, uh, through this weekend, has been sending us pictures. And Cri- Christy in pictures, she has a very, very special place in her heart for pictures. They're not just showing you how much fun they're having or the scenery. For Christy, a picture is a time stamp. It's a time capsule. It captures the moment and everything involved with it. Pictures do this. When we look back in pictures, we don't even just, we, we, we don't just look at the, the people and the places we remember that particular time as well. Movies do this as well. Movies don't just communicate a story. They are also a time stamp of the time in which they were made and in which they were released. And it goes beyond like joking about someone looking at a phone book and using a payphone or wear, wearing like shoulder pads, you know, or the styles and the costumes or the lack of special effects. It's a, it, it, it's a picture of the culture in which the movie is made. So, for example, have you seen Rocky IV, right? Or as a kid, I called it Rocky IV, uh, where Rocky fought Ivan Drago, uh, the, the nearly perfect Russian. You know, I will break you, right? Um, and, of course, the villain of the story was a Russian because the movie was made in 1985, and it took place in 1985, during the height of the Cold War. In other words, the director did not have to tell you not to like Ivan Drago, Right? It was all, living in America. Have you not seen Rocky IV? Okay, I'll just skip, skip on ahead. Uh, the direct, you don't have to be told not to like the Russian. It's 1985, right? Um, uh, but the, something uh, conversely happens to movies that are made today. Like, for example, uh, Wizard of Oz, uh, 1939, uh, versus Wicked, which is the Broadway musical, and the story takes place before Wizard of Oz, but it's, it's told today. They have slightly different takes on the Wicked Witch of the West. In Wizard of Oz, the Wicked Witch of the West is wicked. Like, there's no nuance. There's no redemption at the end. She, she melts at the end because water was poured on her. There's no redemption there. But in Wicked, Elphaba, who is the Wicked Witch of the West, she's not really wicked. She's just misunderstood. So there's a different flavor of how we tend to view villains in contemporary stories today. Uh, 50 years ago, good guy, bad guy. The sheriff with the white hat and the, crooked, and the villain with the crooked mustache, right? Uh, and today there's a little more nuance. Maybe the villain isn't bad. It's just his definition of good is wonky and wrong. They're both trying to do, to do good. Movies are a snapshot of the culture in which they were made. If Rocky was made in the 40s, the enemy wouldn't be a Russian, it would probably be a Nazi, right? Uh, movies not only tell their own story, but they tell a story of the culture in which they are made. Jesus movies do the same thing. Uh, on the one hand, you have a movie like Ben-Hur. If you're looking for a movie to watch this week, watch Ben-Hur. It is a Jesus movie. You never see Jesus' face in the movie, but Jesus is woven throughout 
the whole thing. Charlton Heston movie, 1959, uh, and the movie is kind of something like this. Judah Ben-Hur was an aristocrat, and then he was a slave, and then he was victorious after the, the chariot race, right? And this story resonates with a 1959 American audience. Generally speaking, this has been the narrative of America over the last 30 years at the time the movie was made. Uh, There was great affluence in the 1920s, uh, and then there was the Great Depression of the 1930s, and then we won the epic chariot race of World War II. So this Jesus film resonates with that audience, that 1959 audience. Compare and contrast this with Jesus Christ Superstar. If you're looking for a film to watch this week for Hollywood Jesus, Jesus Christ Superstar is one you can watch. Uh, Released in 1973, uh, after the musical that was first uh, hit Broadway in 1970. Uh, And Jesus in this movie, uh, there's not this this, uh, aristocrat, slave, uh, victorious, or or if you want to be be biblical about it, uh, he was with God, emptied himself, and then is now seated at the right hand of God, right? And Jesus Christ Superstar, Jesus is a hippie, and he's countercultural, and it's rock music. It's very early 1970s picture of who Jesus is. These movies not only tell their own story, but they're also a snapshot of the culture in which they were made. Culture, and I've said this before, culture is simply, sometimes we fear this, uh, but we shouldn't, culture is simply what we make of the world. God offers the raw ingredients, and what we cook up is culture. Because sometimes we think that there's the church and culture, but that's, that's an impossible divorce because even our churches have a culture and a tradition. Our neighborhoods have a culture, our families have a culture, our regions have a culture. For example, you don't order a pop in a Louisiana restaurant. Instead of ordering a pop, you order a soda. Where are you from? No, you order a Coke, right? You order a Coke. And then the server asks, what kind? And you say, Dr. Pepper, right? You order a Coke, right? Thank you. I don't know, a bunch of Yankees on this side of the side. I'm going to talk to y'all on this side. You know, culture is simply what we make of the world. It brings us together. It helps us understand who we are and who we are not. For example, you know, I spent several years in North Carolina. Uh, there, is, there is Eastern North Carolina barbecue and Western North Carolina barbecue. Eastern North Carolina barbecue is a vinegar base. Uh, Western North Carolina barbecue is a tomato base, and do not get them confused. There's an, I have to study this. I won't chase a rabbit, but uh, this is fascinating. That correlation between vinegar base or tomato base also matches a particular accent in dialect. Fascinating, because in Eastern North Carolina, no one says they're ours. They live in North Carolina, right? Very gone-with-the-wind kind of white-collar North Carolina accent. And they have vinegar. It's not vinegar. Vinegar. Vinegar-based sauce, right? But in, North, in, in Western North Carolina, uh, you pronounce an R, and it's a hard R. North Carolina. We go to North Carolina, it's tomato-based sauce, right? In other words... If, if a guy's not pronouncing his R, do not accept tomato-based uh, sauce from him, right? He doesn't know. It's like looking for sushi in Arizona. Like, don't do it. <laughs> don't go there. That, that's, if he wants to offer you barbecue, it better be vinegar-based, right? You see what I'm saying? Culture, culture brings us together, helps us understand who we are and who we are not. Sometimes it can be taken too far in thinking that somehow it's wrong to eat tomato-based pork shoulder, 
Sometimes our arguments are kind of stupid uh, when we, that's the wrong way to do barbecue. Well, it's just you don't live in Western North Carolina, right? Culture helps us understand who we are and who we are not. These Jesus movies help us understand this. Reading about Jesus, it's helpful to understand that, that, that Jesus lived in a particular time in a particular place. It's first century Palestine or Palestinian culture. Or to put it this way, Christ is timeless. Jesus was not. Christ, the Logos, the wisdom, the word of God is timeless. The incarnation, God in the flesh, was not. It happened at a particular time and in a particular place and surrounded by a particular culture. Jesus of the first century. In other words, we are called to be imitators of Christ not the first century, necessarily. Imitation is one of the ways that we primarily learn. Or at least early on, imitation is a way that we learn. By mimicking what we see. I remember when Isabel, uh, uh, our oldest, was, was young. You know, we were first-time parents, so like everything they did, we recorded. You know? And then we had Robert, and we just like, you know, here's some Cheerios on a newspaper, son. You know, raise yourself. We've we got stuff to do. But with Isabel, our oldest, you know, have the baby book and we're doing all those things and, uh, you know, we're watching baby Einstein and like, you know, teaching, you know, reading her, you know, playing Mozart in the background, you know, because that's what gets you into Harvard. So we, we do all those things. And I remember we would play a game every night. I'd take a rubber ducky uh, during bath time. And this was when it was just bath time. It wasn't bed, bath and beyond, which is what we experience now every day between six and nine. But it was just Isabel. And we would play a game. I had, I'd take a duck and say, the duck says, quack, quack. The duck says, quack, quack. And it took a while because I would, I would keep repeating that and she's just like playing around in the water. But then there was this magic day where I said, the duck says, and she said, cock, cock. I'm like, oh. And of course, I feel like I just got my PhD in like child psychology. Like this is a, a big day. Uh, but of course, Isabel was not putting together that the rubber duck was an animal that corresponded with an animal, and animals make sounds, and that's the particular sound that a duck makes, and there are different kind of species of duck. She was simply mimicking what I was doing. But that's how we learn, at least initially. We learn through imitation, by doing what we've seen done, which is why we must be careful in what we do. People are watching, children are watching, and there's nothing wrong with, with imitation. Um, John Wesley, he had a faith crisis uh, during his ministry. And he went to his friend Peter Bowler and asked him what to do. How do I snap out of this? How do I break out of this? I'm, 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 I'm having a crisis here. And, and Peter Bowler uh, said, preach faith until you have it. And then when you have it, preach it. He wasn't calling John Wesley to be a hypocrite, preaching something he had no intention to follow. It's just... Hey, John, you can't win them all. You might not be having a, a, a good day. You might, not be feel, you might not be feeling very connected to Christ, but that doesn't mean your congregation <laughs> needs to suffer. Preach faith until you have it, and then when you have it, preach it. In other words, even when you are in the pit, share Christ anyway. Even when you're not feeling particularly connected to Christ, that is the very reason to be in worship. Preach faith until you have it, and then when you have it, preach.
preach it. It's the importance of the habits of the church. It's to change who we are through the sanctifying grace of God. The more and more we come to the communion table, the more different we become. Prayer, fasting, Bible study, these are those touchstones. And even if we're going to a Bible study just because our friends do, over time, the sanctifying grace of God begins to transform who we are. For many of us, and I would say most of us, our faith journey begins with imitation. It begins through following others, looking at others. Our faith doesn't begin, especially if you're new uh, to Christianity, uh, our faith doesn't begin with understanding the vastness of God or the, the knowable mystery of the Almighty, even though wrestling with that is a beautiful thing. Our faith doesn't begin with uh, a flawless set of doctrine, though doctrine is important. It begins by, as Jesus told the disciples who were on the Sea of Galilee, follow me. He didn't quiz Peter, James, John, and Andrew to see if they were worthy of it. Okay, Peter, you can follow me if you can recite the books of the New Testament. Right? He said, look, look, I'll lead. You follow. Imitation. Follow. Do what I am doing. Follow me. It's very much like uh, the movie Godspell and the musical Godspell. If you're looking for a movie to watch, if Ben-Hur is too big of an apple to bite, uh, uh, and if Jesus Christ Superstar just isn't your slice of pie, um, I'm hungry. <laughs> I'm not getting hungry. Let me skip the food metaphors. Uh, go check out uh, Godspell. I, th- I think it's on Netflix. Uh, Godspell, in Godspell, Jesus is a clown, and the disciples are childlike, and they play games. And it's through imitation that they're learning the parables. The dialogue from Godspell uh, is a retelling of the parables from Matthew's Gospel. And they learn through imitation. They learn through playing, playing these games. Check out Godspell uh, this week if you want to see what this looks like. When Jesus called the disciples to faith, rarely did he have a deep theological argument with them. <clears throat> he didn't say... Um, You can follow me if you understand uh, that I am uh, the theopoesis of God. I am made of the same substance, begotten, not made, God from God, light from light, true God from true God. Nor do you say, my mother is the theotokos, not the Christotokos, which was a controversy in the church at some point. No, he taught them, he invited them in by offering, I guess you could say movies, uh, parables. He said, look, you want to know about God? Okay. A sower went to sow some seeds. And this sower was flinging seeds everywhere, even in places where he was assuming it wouldn't grow. Shallow ground, thorny ground, and of course, in good soil. I love it that the sower doesn't just sow seeds into good soil. The sower flings them everywhere because the, the parable is not about having a robust agricultural plan, even though having a robust agricultural plan is a great thing. It's about God's abundance. God never runs out of seeds. This sower, who is God, is flinging seeds everywhere. Good soil, bad soil, thorny soil. Share it all. The seeds are not going to run out, friends. You want to learn about God? Okay, a sower went to sow some seeds. And eventually, something came up. Something grew. And there were still seeds to spare. We are called to be imitators of Christ not imitators of the first century, which means to follow Christ doesn't mean we all have to be farmers and all have to wake up every morning and throw seeds, right? 
What is the seed that you are being called to sow here and now? Imitators of Christ, but we are the body of Christ here and now. It's kind of like drama camp. I love it. When we do drama camp or vacation Bible school, at the very end, the first question we get from the kids is, when are we doing this again? And they have to wait a whole year. We're planting a seed, and it's awesome to see that seed come into fruition. What is the seed that you're called to plant? Are you a musician? Is that the seed you're called to offer? Is there, I, I snuck into a contemporary discussion class, and they were talking about uh, miracles. How sometimes when you're in a prayerful place, uh, someone's face will pop into your mind, or someone's name. And you call them, and it's, it's, a, it's crazy how it happens. Nine times out of ten, they'll say, thank you so much for calling. I, you know, I, I was going to call you. I needed to talk about X, Y, and Z. Maybe that's the C. Calling someone you haven't connected with in a long time. Maybe they need to hear the sound of your voice. What seeds are we being called to plant in the here and now, in our culture, in our slice of the world? Christ is timeless Jesus was not. We have a particular culture that helps us make sense of the world. That's what culture is. It's us making sense of the world. So following Christ is not about picking grain on the Sabbath, though you can. It's about leaning into the abundance of God and knowing that there is enough. Following the footsteps of Jesus doesn't mean you have to go and buy sandals today. It means to do the work that God is calling you to do, to follow in that way. Healing, teaching, being with those who are broken. Whether you have sandals or tennis shoes or you can afford neither. Imitators of Christ. It's certainly not about assuming that Jesus only ate Eastern Carolina barbecue and that those who eat Western Carolina barbecue are somehow wrong. Jesus is the one who made room at the table rather than picked what kind of sauce was appropriate for the kingdom. Therefore, be imitators of God. Oh, if, um, if being an imitator of Christ is a tall order, and some days it is, can I be honest? Father of four, life happens. To be an imitator of Christ some days is a tall order. And on those days, rather than try to be an imitator of Christ, let us imitate one who imitates Christ. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Surround yourself with the saints, the people you trust, the people you love. It's okay to lean on them because one day they're going to need to lean on you. Be imitators of me as I am imitators of as I'm an imitator of Christ. So if imitating Christ is a tall order today, that's okay. Lean on someone who is. Because one day they're going to need to lean on you. Be therefore imitators of God. As experts? No. As beloved children. And live in love as Christ loved us. And he gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. May we be a living sacrifice to God in the way that we share our faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray.
Gracious God, help us to understand that culture is simply what we make of the world. So help us make a good world, Eternal Father. Help us through uh, not only the movies we watch, but the food we prepare, the songs that we sing. Help us to cultivate a narrative. Help us to cultivate your story within the culture with which you have offered us. Father, we know that Jesus lived in the first century, but that Christ is timeless. And the gospel is timeless. So help us to share the healing. Help us to share the teaching. Help us to share the miracles. Help us to live as resurrected people so that your story may continue in a world desperate for love. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.